Hey gang, Sam here. In this episode of GarageCast, we talked to Jeremy Richardson, General Manager McGrath and Hawkeye Harley-Davidson. Jeremy was the guy that told us to start a podcast back in 2020. So here we are. We finally got him on. It only took us 188 episodes. He tells us a lot about coming from a military background, how it applies uh, on the showroom floor. And then we also talk about financing and how do we serve that payment-sensitive buyer. So enjoy this episode of GarageCast. We're going to do our best to get new thinking out there. There's going to be discussions centered around growth and new thinking. That's where those great ideas come from, exploring them together. Nuggets that you can go back and put into your dealership that'll help you make more money. This is GarageCast. Welcome to GarageCast. This is Tony Gonzalez signing on for you with Sam Dantzler. Got a lot of good responses from the uh, fall round of 20 clubs. How about you? We did. We got a, I got a lot of, here's why. Here's why you need to do it. Like we talked about, you really need to put scorecards or scoreboards up there. And just got, got a lot of feedback of once we did it, we got so much ownership with our department uh, employees or team members. A lot of why behind the pieces we were putting out there. So I agree. Yeah. A lot of people are in 20 clubs sounded off. Our next guest actually isn't one of, in one of our 20 clubs. So I'm we not sure to, why, we, we why the hell we point. actually have this hack on our podcast. Uh, I, I know. Usually there's some money going under the table to pull people on. We got nothing. We didn't get shit out of this deal. <laughs> well, there there is one. Well, there's many significant reasons that he deserves to be on the show well first off i don't understand how we haven't had this guy on before <laughs> 188th episode seeing as well we're gonna let him tell the story on that let's 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 let him tell the story about the genesis of garage cast so you know with no further ado i want to introduce a guy that both sam and i have known for many many years gosh it's almost going back two decades he is currently the gm of mcgrath hawkeye harley davidson jeremy richardson uh, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Welcome to GarageCast. Thanks, guys. Yes, my long-awaited debut, a couple, couple years in the making, as uh, <laughs> as I pointed out once you guys reached out and we decided to do this. So so to, go to ahead. Let's fair, tell the fair, story. You reached out. You reached out to me because you had an idea for a podcast. And that's when I was like, number one, that's a good idea. And as I'm talking to Tony, I'm like, how the hell have we not had him on the podcast? <laughs> yeah, so totally. I figured this was my only way to uh, beat you both up about my royalty checks I've been waiting on since since the launch of this great, great content era that you guys have been doing. So it's a pleasure to be on here, guys. Thanks so much. And, and better off just to get to wrap with you guys for a little while. Yeah. You know what? We were talking about this off air right before we hit record is that uh, Jeremy Richardson's name is mentioned in the first, well, within the first minute of our first episode of GarageCast because it was, it was his idea that's that we should do something like this. And uh, so we got to give credit where credit is due. Thanks, man. No, thank you guys. And, and, you know, from, from all dealers, especially our group, we just appreciate the content. You know, you guys spit stuff out on in a way that uh, not only we get to hear it, but our people get to hear it. And um, you know, you're pulling from, from all areas of the power sports world, uh, boat, Marine bicycle, and you're putting content out that uh, 
you know, we get to, uh, we get to listen to, uh, on a, on a regular basis, which is great for us is I kind of did challenge Sam on this long ago. Um, after I was saying off air here off after some bike rides and some beers, um, <laughs> I kept beating him up about getting this kind of stuff out there because in the space that we live in, in uh, breathe in guys, it's, it's great to have this kind of information coming out more regularly than just a, a 20 group. Yeah. Sam and I thought that people were seeing it on the chalkboards that we were using chalkboards and chalk that we were writing it on, but apparently uh <laughs> digital age. No, there's really no one. Got, I do remember that Jeremy. I remember. And for the, for those of you who are listening, who you heard after bike rides, Jeremy is an avid cyclist. And what he means is after I came in house to do some training and he took me out afterwards, kicked my ass on the bicycle. I then begged him to take me somewhere to have a beer and over beers multiple times. He said, why have you not started some version of a podcast? And I remember referencing that in the very first episode. So here we are. It only took 188 episodes. I'm glad to be here. And I think my, my first, one of my first uh, ass kickings was with Tony was our, our first meeting. Remember Carney, Nebraska? No, no. It was Sterling, <laughs> Illinois is where it was. Wasn't it? No, it was Carney. We're talking about the run or the actual composite ass kicking. <laughs> the, the run, <laughs> the, the run ass kicking. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Tony's like, Hey, I got to go do a, a half. You were chaining for Switzerland or, or Madison. I don't yeah. remember which Ironman. And, uh, Hey, I gotta, I didn't really know Tony. I gotta go do a run today. And Mike's like, well, Jeremy runs. And Tony's like, I gotta do, I gotta do 12. And of course, Mike, well, Jeremy will go with you. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> I had just gotten into the sprint track on. So three miles was, was my max. And of course pride takes over and I'm watching my watch and it keeps clicking up, but uh, it was great times. Yeah, it was, man. <laughs> yeah. We all have known each other for a long time. So, so, so let's jump into this, man. You are obviously by the, the long, long two stories we're telling is you're a long time industry veteran. Give our listeners a history of how you got where you are today. Absolutely. Uh, started in the, started during college as just a, a technician part-time, just, you know, keeping food on the table. And I fell into one of those situations where the, these current service manager left and I was kind of next man up without being ready for it. So I got thrown from a technician, got thrown into service manager role. Uh, I was an individual that could, knew how to work on stuff and talk to customers at the same time, kept really felting, felt drawn to the uh, sales floor. So it was kind of a one man show at that time. So I ended up interviewing and getting a position with the McGrath group on the auto side and, and got into that space for better part of seven, eight years. And then Mike came to me after I think update Sam, maybe, maybe Oh seven going out and talking to you guys uh, with some ideas and some thoughts comes back after that update and sits me down on a Thursday night. And next thing you know, we're putting a business plan together and then bought a Honda Yamaha store. A month later, we were able to purchase the local Kawasaki store and bring that in house. And then a couple of years later, able to take a player dealership and bring that on board as well. So, you know, initially it was a 150 unit deal that we purchased and, and pretty consistently we were at that 900 to a thousand units out of, out of our store, which really proud of and, and, and love that segment of business. And then 13, we were given the opportunity to purchase a Harley Davidson dealership with a kind of a close community to where our power sports store is. And then in 15, we entered into Dubuque with the, the McGrath Hawkeye Harley or Dubuque Harley Davidson space. And then, um, 18, we got quad cities and I've GM'd, 
uh, been corporate general manager of, of all of those. And, and now I'm just a single point um, enjoying that. Hmm. Sounds like they couldn't find a position for him. So they just kept trying him. Ed would say it's like yeah. rotating a bald tire. Damn, damn, damn. damn. Spot. So, so in all seriousness, you know, you were the corporate GM, which I got to imagine just, you know, it's, that's all, that's a ton of work. It's a ton of stores. It's a ton of personnel. You went back to a single point, you know, what just, just better to go back to one place every single day, better for family. Why'd you, why'd you make that move? Yeah. Family was as a big part of it. Just, uh, three little ones, you know, at the time they were you know, seven, five and three and just being around for drop off and pick up, just being able to, to be supportive. And then I'm a pretty avid coach with, uh, with any of my kids and whatever they need. You know, obviously at the rec level, when they're really young, they, a lot of communities just depend on parents and I want to, I want to be one of those people whenever I have that opportunity. So that was, that was a, a big driving factor there. Tony was, uh, just, being a little closer, not being an hour and a half away when uh, when one of the kids gets sick and they need to be picked up. Yeah. Hey, so I've often marveled at your ability to uh, run around between all the stores while being married, while having children, while training for Ironman triathlons, all of the above. And I know that discipline comes a lot from your military background. So first of all, thank you for your service in the military. Tony and I are big military mm-hmm. fans. We really appreciate that. I got a two-part question for you. So tell us a little bit about that experience and your service. And then I want you to take that into what does that do for you as a manager? Do, do, you, do you push the, the structure and the regimen that you clearly have embedded in you onto your team? Is that how you get compliance? Or tell us a little bit, maybe the crossover there to power sports. Oh, absolutely. There's a, you know, there's a ton to unpack there. Uh, thanks, thanks for that, guys. You know, military service, 21 years in, in the Army, Army Reserves, uh, both. A couple of mobilizations and, and tours, and um, I was thankful to serve and just thankful and blessed that uh, I made it through everything I did and, you know, unscathed. But your second part of that question, Sam, I think was 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 big because it's there's so much that's relatable. You know, I, I liken this a lot to just to, to sports and that, you know, I think I've learned as much in the military from bad leadership as good leadership. And when I was just really young just watching people and figuring it out. And for me personally, it, it fit. I, I'm pretty driven. I like accountability. I, I, I like to know what's expected of me and, and then to go get it done at the highest level possible. So when I got into the military, that stuff just naturally just fell in line with me and my drive and uh, the type of person I think I was at the time and, and ultimately wanted a man I wanted to become. So while it was easy to stay in the military was some of those reasons. And then back to the part about, you know, how does that relate to what we're doing here? It's the same thing, you know, in the military, you're accountable, you're accountable to your person, your foxhole or your, your squad, your platoon, you're accountable to uh, orders that, that other NCOs and offices are asking you to complete, you know, get it done at all costs kind of thing. And, uh, and then also just, the camaraderie that comes with being on a team like that. I mean, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot like dealership life. You guys are, you know, you're, you're out there doing this stuff together. Obviously when you want to accomplish things, it's because the whole team gets it done. It's not just because you pulled everybody up the hill. So figuring that out and uh, I've applied so much of, of my military experience in to the power sports world that I'm, I'm thankful that they've run pretty parallel in that way because I, I, I don't know exactly what kind of a leader I would have been had I not had some of those other 
other things that I was pulling from, uh, from the military side. Gave you a framework, I guess, at at minimum, gave you a framework to to start from. I think so many people get promoted into leadership or you're the GM because you happen to be standing there when the last GM quit. And all of a sudden it's like, well, what do I do now? At least you came in with all that framework that had to help. Oh, absolutely. And I'm, I'm thankful for it. And I, the, the accountability piece I think was really big because I don't, I think the minute that you stop being accountable for yourself, you can't hold others accountable. And, you know, I, I learned that a lot from, from the military and just a couple of the leadership that I had in, in a very good way about making sure that the things that I needed to get done, got done. And, you know, when you, when you go into uh, combat, you also learn a lot about yourself. You learn about a lot about your style and method. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for that experience. I'm, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give it up for anything. Yeah. You know, you said something that echoes big with me from a dealership level or when I was in the fire service is good leaders and bad leaders, they teach you a lot. So it's like, it's like, man, I don't ever want to be like that. I don't ever (laughs) want to make decisions like that. I don't want to act like that. So that's, that's, uh, that's good. Sidebar. This is, this is something that comes up on your Facebook feed that I love every single time. And that is the picture of you in the desert, with you know the Hawkeyes, the 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 Hawkeye, the the finger, and yeah, it just put that into words for the listeners for about a minute because it is an epic photo. It is one of the greatest memories of that tour. So Iowa, two thousand four season, two thousand five Capital One Bowl. We're playing LSU, playing Nick Saban, last game before he goes on to the Dolphins. Okay, Jamarcus Russell is quarterback. I mean. And so it's myself and, you know, 45 crazy Iowa fans. And we're watching the game at two o'clock in the morning on a 19 inch black and white screen TV. And we were fortunate enough to get the game. So right before my mom had sent me or somebody sent me this foam finger. And on duty that day, I, I had wrote that out and I gave it to one of our TCNs that was working at the base that day. They were Sweeping streets or something. I don't even remember what those guys actually did. But TC, TCNs are uh, third, third or TCNs are third country nationals. Right. So people, people that are that are over there. Uh, I think those gentlemen might have been Egyptian. But anyway, so we're and I, I don't know why, but they were. We had a pretty good relationship, so I just asked them to take a picture so I could send it to all my buddies that um, that I that they were wearing a Hawkeyes deal, and I, I sent it. I emailed it right before the game to everybody, not thinking that they weren't going to open their phone at or open their email at that time of night. But yeah, it's, it's a great photo every year for veterans day. I post that one because yeah. it, it's, it's the best one. <laughs> well, well, and then you, 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 for a little bit of color here, here's Jeremy in his full, you know, camo army attire, right next to these TCNs, which he says are Egyptian or middle Eastern or in some form. Right. And they're, they're dressed out in their Iowa gear. One of them has the foam finger. Uh, they're in the middle of the desert. Like, so it's just, it's a hilarious picture. Um, when that comes up, I always get a laugh out of that, out of that photo. I love that one. Best part of that though, is we won the game zero time on the clock. Drew Tate <laughs> throws it in. I mean, it, it was better than being at the game with all those guys. It was just, we just went crazy. You know, those, those moments when you're over there, you get like time like that. It was, it was a memorable game. Never forget it as you stated along your journey in, in the dealership journey that you've had for quite some time now, you got your start in the metric space. I know the auto side, but you, you brought yourself over into the metric space. Um, what do you miss most about that? You know, you're, you're 
working at an HD dealership, you got elevated to I, I, arguably a COO level job, right? Where you're you're dealing with high level business acumen, accounting, that stuff. What do you miss most about your time in the trenches? Because that's metric dealers. I look at that as like the trenches, man. You're you're fighting for everything. So, what do you miss most about that? You know, that answer's probably changed over time. I, I think initially, yes, it was. It was definitely a different style. It was a different style of salesmanship and 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 fight and and just the product. Obviously, was was very different. Some of what I also miss was uh, just the amount of kids. You know, I don't I don't see a lot of I see, you know, 18, 19 year olds down here. But just those young kids coming in and getting a 50 or a 110 is was that was really enjoyable and watching them go off on that journey or, you know, that 12 year old getting ready to go motocross for the season. And maybe that's just changed because I'm a parent now and uh, just watching my kids kind of grow up and, and get interested into stuff. I definitely miss watching them young, those young individuals come in and light up and get to just sit on it or even hop in a side by side and move the steering wheel as fast as they possibly can because mom and dad are getting a, getting a, a Ranger today or, or, a, or a big red or something. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love it to see the kids like that. Jeremy, you don't know this, but my daughter is halfway through the rider education class at the local motorcycle shop. And to see her just run around the floor, like I continue to run around the showroom floor, looking at everything, you know, and then you catch a kid out of the corner of your eye and you're like, oh man, that was my kid 10 years ago, sitting in all the, you know, sitting in the, whatever it happens to be on the, in the UTVs, ATVs, whatever. And now here she is, she'll be 15 uh, tomorrow as of this recording. And, uh, and now she's, now we're looking at her, her own bike. So Yeah. It's interesting because I, the metric space to me has so many different kinds of toys and different ways to have fun. Uh, but it, it really rolls into my next question because you started in the metric space and I think you quite frankly fell in love with the metric space and all of a sudden dropped into the Harley space when you purchased that building and then another one after that. And you've obviously done very well on both sides in the metric space and the Harley side. So I, I guess mixed question there. What, what did you need to learn to go into the Harley space or was it even easier because you're, you're, it's one manufacturer, right? As opposed to whatever nine manufacturers you had in the old store, whatever the number happened to be, what skills transferred and what didn't make it when you jumped across to Harley? Uh, you know, Harley is, it was a little different and a, a lot of it was just gaining some experience, you know, the, the Harley manufacturer, and obviously they've gone through some different iterations of that from a leadership standpoint, but they were very welcoming and definitely helped us through that transition initially and just learning what it was and how the differences were. So I, I definitely appreciated that. You know, some of the things I think I needed to learn was how tight knit the Harley community was. You know, in the metric world, it was you had your dirt, your, your motocrossers, and then you had your street bikers. And, but this was hog groups. And some of the large events that we started holding, quite frankly, because of the community of Harley-Davidson riders, we really got to see what that was like. And I think we took a lot of those lessons back to the metric world. We, self-admittingly, we didn't do as well a job as bringing that whole community on the metric side together through bike nights and events until I think that we lived it through the Harley lens and we really understood like these guys will come and eat burgers and drink beers together. All of them will. They all love the same stuff. And we would have burnout contests at our back at our metric store after, and you'd have street bikes and you'd have guys bring dirt bikes and do burnout contests. You know, they, they just do stoppies instead of the burnouts. So 
learning that was really cool. And just that cross that the, the amount of information and, and the skill sets aren't really that different, but the learn, the lessons learned was what I was looking for there. And then tying them to each of them and figuring out we're not all that much different. We, we all love the freedom. We all love the customization. We all love that the togetherness and just sometimes just being alone and, and going and ripping up a twisty by ourselves after a long day of work. Yeah. They're the same people. They just, they just ride something with a different badge. Interesting. Um, you guys, you know, the listener, when we were teasing Jeremy before about right in the beginning about how, Hey man, you contacted me with an idea for a podcast. The idea for the podcast we're going to get to here in just a little bit. It's a flex program from Harley Davidson, uh, which is how this whole thing evolved. And you said so, several iterations of Harley Davidson. I want to, let's put that in the parking lot for a little bit. Cause we'll come back to Harley here in just a second. I want to focus on something that we kind of just brushed over, which was your time spent as the general manager for the entire organization, because, you know, there you were one, one day wrenching on things. And then, you know, a few years down the road, uh, and then we're not even talking about your military experience, but a few years down the road, now you're in control of how many rooftops? Four. Four. Okay. So that's, that's a big endeavor. Just give the listener, uh, because we have, a, we have a lot of conglomeration going on and positions like the one that you were in, those are hard to fill with people because of the skill set that you need, the unique skill set. What were some of the challenges? What were some of the benefits to it? Uh, did you love it? Did you not like it? One of the skill sets I think that you, know, you have to learn really quickly um, when you start, especially traveling, and you're not in the same store every day. When you're in the same store every day, you know most things that are going on. You know the customers, you know the people, but when you're not in one every day, it's keeping in tune and connected. You know, a 20 group, a couple meetings ago, I, I really, I challenged even some of the ownership about making sure they understood how important their connectivity was to their people. I think there's some owners that get that and they're spending time. They're not just, you know, dropping by and saying hello and cashing a check. They're shaking hands. They're talking to people. And one thing I will, I will give my ownership some crazy credit for was Whenever Mike was in a store, and I learned this from him, uh, give him all the credit. Whenever we did a celebration, he would stop whatever we were doing, whatever he was doing, wherever he was, and he would walk over and he would shake the hand and he would talk to those people for two to five minutes. And after a couple of those, and then the consistency, like I, it's just one of the things I, I learned to really appreciate about him was like he got it because my people all saw that. So I never had to remind them like, hey, we're doing a celebration. Get over there. They, they knew it was an expectation from the highest person. And if he can make time for it, call darn it, you'd better make time for it because yeah. they're the people that are going to come back and see us and be at our bike nights and tell their friends about us and so on and so forth. So connectivity, you know, Tony, it was, was really big. Staying connected with everybody because you know, ultimately they're, they're working for the ownership and they're working for you. And you, you need to make sure that you have a personal relationship with them on some level, whatever level that is. And then I think the other big thing was the organization you have to have when you're bouncing around is very different from an organ, the organization level you have as a sales manager or service manager. It is, you've got so many different buttons that you're pushing. And I think I learned that you can't have your thumb on everything all of the time because you're not in the store and you've got other stores. So you have to figure out 
what bush, what buttons you're pushing and when and how frequently to get back and just look at that. You guys talk at, at length about OBS, about uh, used inventory, about new inventory, obviously the things that can either make or, or, or break a year, depending on what, what level you're sitting at. And you just got to know when to get back and look at those things. Because if you go two, three months without looking at them, you got a problem. You got a big problem. And, and it can be a catastrophic that can take, you know, as you guys were talking on your last one, it can really, it can change your retail focus for, for maybe a quarter or a whole season. Yeah. Let, let me circle back to something you just said. You talked about when, when Mike, and we're talking about Mike McGrath, the owner of McGrath Power Sports, and um, you, you guys came from the auto side, which I think he brought a lot of auto structure uh, with you over to hit, over to the power sports side. But if you know Mike, and I love the guy, he never phones it in. And when you talk about going to meet the customer who's celebrating their first motorcycle purchase, you can imagine somebody who's as giddy as the customer engaging them for what you just said, two to five minutes. And I promise you, when you he's so infectious with his personality, he's so much fun. That customer is never going to forget that moment where the owner came over and spent some time. It was it's excited for them as he would be for himself. And and I think the last time, you know, we we had Mike and you in one of my performance groups when I was contracting for Harley Davidson, which is when we spent so much time together. And when I decided that uh, Tony and I, when we started Garage Composites, we wanted to remain very true to the to the mindset of that we are dealer advocates first. And I did not believe that Harley Davidson was doing right by the dealer at that time. And this would have been in 2014. And so I decided to back out of being a contractor for them in those performance groups. And several of those, several of those dealers came across us at Garage Composites and several did not. And you guys were some that did not. And you got to love Mike because he looked me in the eye and he's like, I, I just, I love hanging out in the room with Harley. I love shaking their hand. I want to know what's going on behind the scenes with them. And um, it was just a very honest, fun moment that I had with him. So um, I, I really, I really like Mike. If you get a chance to meet him, please do. You'll probably find him out on a motorcycle or a ski slope is, if you can pin him down. But relative to Harley, that's, let's just circle back to the motor company right now. What are your sentiments around surrounding the motor company? And, and it can be back then when we were playing in the 2013-14 space or during COVID or even now. What are your thoughts as to where they are, where they're going? Oh, boy. You know, coming out of the last PG group and, and some of the things that I think they're they're attempting to do, you know, you guys just referenced Bopus on your last podcast, um, whether it's good, whether it's not good. And I, I would I agree with, I think, with what one of you said about there's just not a lot of information yet to know if it's going to be great for, for business. I would say I, with them, from what I've seen over the last couple of years, this feels like at least an effort to bring people back to us. I think some of the, um, the way they launched it and some other things, you know, it could be, we could, we can make an argument that that could have been handled differently or we could educate buyers differently on how to do this. But there have been a couple things where I think that they've realized, I don't know if it was COVID Sam that triggered it or what, but they've realized they've done some stuff that has helped customers not come into your brick and mortar store. Mm -hmm. And as the three of us all know, guys like me that that's that's where we live and breathe it's it's got to be transactional so that it can be experimental with somebody the experience can be can be great and that's how we're going to learn going to earn loyalty from somebody and when your OEM is trying to find ways to to make it easier for somebody not to come in your door i think if you know if you've sat in any 20 group for any amount of time that's what'll really get guys fired up is when they feel like they're figuring out a way to have them not come into my store and 
buy it from somebody else or buy it from the manufacturer themselves. Yeah. So I think we've went through iterations where they've gotten that and, and some leadership has, I think, tried to do a better job. And we'll, we'll see how this current you know, regime takes it. I, I hope they've seen some stuff through this and you know, hopefully we'll start to walk toward what does it take to drive somebody to the to these great stores that are waiting to give a great experience for, for our customers. It's funny, it's funny you bring that up. We had a longtime industry guy, Jeremy McMillan, good buddy of ours. He sent me a couple text messages just this, it was either this morning or last night about Bopus. And with that same sentiment, he said, Sam, you know, for everybody who's frustrated that Harley's trying to get into your business on a deeper level, there's also the idea that they're not taking the money in the e-com side. They're trying to push them into your store. And, and I really had to reflect on that because we missed that on the podcast when we were talking about. I had not considered that. So I, I don't think you're alone in that thinking. And so I guess my backup question or my, my follow-up question would be, do you think the current group inside of Harley, the ownership group, the management group, the regime, if you will, based on what you said, they're trying to push dealers back into your store. Is that a continuing trend? And And I'm asking because they've, gone overboard in my opinion of making your facility look a certain way and if they're going to do that in my brain you better damn sure help the dealer get more people in the store you're going to dictate how the store is going to look well the, the fuel program is is, is a whole no, whole another question you know i did have the opportunity to go up to milwaukee and my coming off my 20 group and then some of the things i heard there i, I want to believe sam yes i want to believe that that's where we're, they're trying to go and the, the senior leadership that, that I know and have gotten to talk to, I want to believe that the things that they're telling me, that's the direction that they're trying to go in. Because obviously it's win, 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 when the relationship between the manufacturer and the dealer body is good. It, if, if it's good and it's healthy and there's just honest communication, I don't expect them to tell me everything I want to hear. And I know I'm not going to agree with everything they're going to do, mm-hmm. but if the, the, the communication is good and what they're rolling out as a mutual benefit with that being people are driving to and coming to and visiting local stores and coming to see it, then yes. And I, I want to believe that this administration is, is starting to go that direction. And I'm hopeful that they continue down this path. They don't, they don't yank the e-brake and spin around on us. Yank Got the it. e-brake. <laughs> yeah. Got yeah. it. Yeah. So now for the genesis of this podcast, that has to do with HD uh, Harley's Flex program. So you've had quite a bit of success with HD's Flex program. Talk to us about this and let's get in depth here. Let's let's talk about how you're winning with this. Yeah, actually, we haven't it hasn't been a long term program, Tony. You know, the, re- the reason I, I said something to Sam about this was, you know, this program is rolling out and in Harley. So that essentially they've got a, a lease style option with a blue payment that's available after 36 or 48 months. Um, you can trade it in. You can buy it outright or you can reflex it if you want. So they really have four options. And, you know, the concern of mine will be is, you know, lease was so big in the late 90s and really through middle 2000s. I think I don't even remember the number of 48% of new new cars during that time were maybe a little less than that uh, were leased. And we, we've been you know pretty far removed from people knowing and understanding what a lease was. So I think that you know, to all the sales managers, the the sales, you know, the ASMs, the the fits on this, and the GSMs and GMs on this is make sure that you're training your folks on 
how to utilize that program. And because that flex is just another tool in your toolbox, Tony. And I, I think it could be something that's going to help. Is it going to help a ton of your customers? I, I don't know that it's going to be a bunch of them, but hopefully it's enough that it makes some incremental difference in what you're selling monthly and hopefully helps that three and four year trade-in cycle be really easy and seamless for, for our customers. So correct me if I'm wrong, Jeremy, a good bit of that knowledge of yours came in from the auto side, from, from your ownership group. Yes. You know, we, we did leasing was huge, Sam. I mean, it was, it was big and, you know, GMAC and and others, they were just into it and uh, your residual value would come out. Obviously the reason people are, are, are leasing are, you know, from my experience, a couple of reasons is one, maybe they, they want more than they can afford on a buy yep. or two, their trade cycle lends to where you get an opportunity to help that person be in a better spot when they go to, to trade out of it. If everybody's getting out of a bike every two and a half and three years, and, and they're just, they're wanting the new thing because that's just the way they like to buy. You can set somebody up for the type of a trade cycle that allows them to not have an equity, to, to have something that's always under warranty, always under a priority maintenance program. They can, they can lock in the payment and have trouble free riding for you know three to four years, whatever their term is. Or a thing that we have done a lot, and I see, especially right now, guys, being something that this lease flex program could be big on is we're coming up on a lot of those people over the last couple of years. You know, we just know the market's different. We're going to have some inequity. We're, we've dealt with it this year. We're going to continue to see it. And so getting folks out of some of that, getting them into a program that when they get done with their next one, they can, they can be out of that inequity situation. So that next, the next purchase, be it flex or just an outright buy, they're able to, they're not carrying a bunch of carryover from the previous loans in that. I think that sales managers and, and GMs that are doing a good job with that will really hone in on their training on educating their people so they can re-educate customers because there's not as many customers that are, are leasing right now. So I don't know that they know the gist of it and why it can be beneficial for them. Well, and I guess that's where my brain went. Let's let's so Sam the dummy comes into your store and you say, You ever thought about the flex program? And I go, I don't even know what you're talking about. What are what are the two to I'm gonna try to steal some training idea right now, which yeah. is what are the two to four reasons that a customer may want to jump in on that if they have no idea what that program even is? Yeah, role playing is Sam. Well, the flex program is going to give you some options that you know conventional buy just doesn't do for you. You know, number one, we're going to give you the option that at the end of a term of a three or, or four year loan, you're going to have four really cool things that you can do. You know, number one, Sam, you could love the bike, you could customize it, you can just buy it out and you can keep it. You can continue to ride that thing as long as you want. Two, Sam, you can trade it in. If that value is really high, which we see the market do at times, and all of a sudden you've got some great equity built up, you're going to be able to take that and roll that into the next motorcycle that, that you're looking at. Sam, the third thing we can do is you could just want to be done with it because maybe there is some inequity. The market's changed on the other end and the value of that bike isn't necessarily the same as what you're going to get for it. So you could just walk away from it. Maybe, maybe you want to change, maybe it's time to move up to the trike or move it's moved down to something else and you don't want to take in any equity with you. We can help you do that. The last thing we can do is we can just keep you on a flex program. Maybe you don't know what you want to do. You, you're liking the miles, you're liking the carefree riding experience with having a warranty and a, and a, a priority maintenance program that takes care of all your maintenance and, and you just want to hop on the thing and go. We can help you with that with no ownership ties that you're required to go to to, 
you know, 72, 84, and, and maybe even 96 months. So Sam, I guess the picture I would really want to paint is the options that that does yeah. for somebody. That's, yeah, that's I, super cool. I, and, and I guess my win does this, ha- is this at the sit down? Is this when you're trying to close the deal? Is this, you're trying to switch them to this after they've agreed to a paint win in the process? Do we see this Jeremy? You know, the thing that we're working on right now is t- to me, that's, that is after that first pencil where you're finding out where somebody wants to be, where, you know, where's that payment? What's that payment look like? Um, we're, we're looking at, because, you know, it'll be, it'll be tier based. You're only going to have that option with so many tiers. So to go tell somebody when you're on the floor about it and not have that be an option, I personally, I don't think anybody other than maybe a sales manager or maybe an ASM would be the person to kind of drop that nugget from a salesman perspective. I would think that that is S at that second, that second pencil where we've maybe got some credit parameters, parameters established. We figure out where this customer wants to be. We've done a great job in the probe and we know what kind of writing they're going to do. We know when they've traded in their last unit, have they been a prior to maintenance customer of ours before? That way you can kind of package that up, I think, in a nice package for somebody that would they would look at this and say, why, why wouldn't I do that if it makes this much sense? Jeremy, why do you think that the motorcycle industry has not embraced the lease program before? Or even I'll go as far as to say that they're skeptical of it coming out, right? It, like you said, auto side, it's just... It's it's a norm, man. You see the marketing and ads for it. You can lease for this or buy for that. What, what is it with the power sports industry? You know, Sam, I you and I were talking about this. You know, it back in the late two thousands, people were trying to kind of think about this. But man, Tony, the the I think this is just me. I think the yeah. auto industry got so burnt in that mid two thousands. I mean, you know, residuals were too high values of cars were too high. And I think that they, that a lot of the uh, OEM backed financing, they taught a lot of them took some big, big hits. And I think that some, I would imagine that some of these financial institutions saw that and say, I don't know if that I want to get in that business. I'm not, I'm not sure if that's exactly what happened, but the timing for me, Tony kind of lines up as to why they maybe didn't jump in when a lot of people were. Plus, Back in 2000s, I mean, people were lined up on a waiting list to buy a Harley. I, you know, it was the, the buying was a little different than having a showroom full of stuff. And now we're trying to entice somebody buying a T-shirt to get them out on. You got to you got to go ride the new Milwaukee 8 or I just got the CVO in. So that salesmanship's a little different as well. Hmm. I don't know if that have a great answer for you, Tony, but that's just kind of a guess. Yeah. You, you know, we've seen the segment that's not buying is the true payment sensitive buyer. Um, and we see it in the boating industry. It's just a higher payment because it's a higher price boat. Uh, we see it in Harley and we see it in the metric space too. So that payment sensitive buyer, um, it seems to me like this would be a very good solution for them. I was just talking to Jeff Herodine last week, the president of Barletta Boats, and we were trying to figure out, is there a lender that we can come up with a plan for specifically for that payment sensitive buyer. Then Barletta was talking about maybe helping by buying down the rate if you buy a Barletta versus anything else. And so brain starts spinning around like what program would identify or appease that buyer. Do you think this maybe is a program for boating and for power sports that would appease that payment sensitive buyer? I, I sure hope so. Obviously that'll just, you know, residual value, Sam, is that common denominator that will change this residuals are good and prices aren't crazy high then yes this can be something for somebody that 
you could come in and either that that three, four year trade cycle that you want to be in, you can't afford to, or somebody that's looking to get into the market and, but all their buddies got a street glide. So they've got to have a street glide to keep up. So they walk in and gives us an opportunity to show them something. Hey, don't pay for the whole thing right now. Let's just have you pay for the next three years, hopefully putting them in a payment that's a little bit more affordable for them and uh, that they can figure out, Hey, am I going to like this or not? I sure hope so. But residual will really dictate whether in my personal opinion, whether this is a program that's successful and we yep. can move a lot of people to, or if it's all just going to be day, hey, let's just take them out to 96 months as far as we can go and get the payment as low as possible, especially if rates stay where they are currently. Huh. Good insight on that. Let's, let's go big picture here. Global view. What's next uh, in the HD space for the next, let's just say three to five, three to seven years. What do you think? Electric. Wow. No, no, it isn't. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I had to go there. Um, you did. You know, I some stuff I heard from from PG. I hope is true. Is I think they, I think they've noticed that there's they've got to come up with some reasons to get people to when they walk on the showroom floor to incentivize them to trade out a little bit quicker than they had been. And I, I really hope that that you know forces the motor company to really stay on. I mean, they've, they've created so many spaces in motorcycle, especially, you know, grand American touring that, you know, I I won't say they've been complacent, but at the same time, it's easy to get complacent and, and kind of sit on what you've got. And I hope that what's happened and happening and that they've seen really spurs this current group into, we've got to come out with stuff that when somebody walks in, they see something different than they're writing. And, and it, Ooh, colors, it's great. And I understand you have to run something for so long to make it make sense for you from a manufacturing standpoint, but coming up with some new things that when folks come in your door on a Tuesday night dinner ride with the hog group, it gets them to stop. We've, we've looked at a lot of the same things for a while now. And I think if anything else, I, I would love to see that, Tony, I'd love to see a little bit of that and come conversations I've had. I'm really hoping that's the direction. And I'll, I'll go back to, I really hope they also understand and have heard us for a while now. We can't, we, we need to be able to be in those spaces where customers can see our product online, but we can't get away from brick and mortar being the experience, driving people to stores so that our folks get an opportunity to help them through this process, to get them to fall in love with it. And to hopefully make a memorable experience that, you know, our motto, a memorable experience that creates a loyal rider is to do that. You got to do that in store. I've never bought anything online that I can't wait to go see them again. So I, I, Tony, to answer your question, I I hope that's it. I hope that's where we're going. I don't know if that does a good, good enough job answering your question, but I I really hope so. Yeah, I got yeah, I got totally. to follow up to that. You just brought up the online versus the in-store scenario. And you sit there and you think about this was one of the comments we got from our from our last podcast about those digital leads and and, and about how maybe we need to keep stressing a little bit harder, Tony, that the number of digital leads is infinitely more than the number of front door swings. So totally. what is more valuable than a digital? Your digital door swing is more valuable right now than your front door swing. Uh, because one causes the other and it's somebody putting a hand up saying I'm interested. So on that note, do you have any, we, we didn't, we didn't think to put this in here, but just as far as the digital landscape, are you guys trying to create an experience in the digital landscape 
or you like many other dealers just pushing hard for get the appointment, get them in the store and we'll convert them there. I'd love to say we're doing a better job. It's something actually just coming off of one of your last 20 groups um, that one of our guys is in. We've, we've been talking about at, at length is, is how do we make that more, how do we make that experience better? Yep. Some, some of that's through BDC representation. Some of that's through how we're contacting people. Man, I may, maybe I'm a little old school. I still love to just find a way to get the appointment because I want to get them in the store. Because quite frankly, that's where I'm the best. And that's where I think we're the best. But I also, we also have to change our thinking. You guys are right. You're right on that. What I don't remember some of the statistics that you guys rolled out, but the percentage of people that are doing their first shopping online is just, it's astronomical. It's all of them. And to not be yeah. better at that is quite frankly, it's ridiculous and it's lazy on our part. And, and we, we need to do a better job. And it's something we're currently is at one of the top of the things that we're talking about changing and, and making that experience better for people and our contact back to them better. Fantastic, man. Good stuff as usual from you, Jeremy Richardson. Thanks so much, buddy. I appreciate you coming on and spending some time with us. Yeah. Thank you for Jeremy Richardson and Sam Dantzler. I'm Tony Gonzalez. This has been garage cast. Have a fantastic Tuesday, everybody. Thanks everyone. Thanks everyone.